Reuters has just come out with a new study about the numbers of the rise in children who are seeking gender care. And stunningly, we have seen the number of diagnoses of youth with gender dysphoria surge from almost by almost 30% between 2017 and 2021. These numbers are astounding and should cause great concern for all parents and citizens about what is happening to our youth right now in our culture. Hi, I'm Julie Barrett, and you're listening to the Women's Planning Podcast. I'm also the founder of Conservative Ladies of Washington. We are a group of like-minded ladies and gentlemen here in the state of Washington, and we are working hard to elect conservative candidates and to educate and empower Washington citizens to stand up and speak up and stop being silent and take real action here in Washington state to create change and to turn this radical left deep blue state around. It is proving to be a very challenging task, but we are here for it and we are not going to back down. You can learn more about what we're doing and how you can get involved in our work by going to conservativeladiesofwa.com. That's conservativeladiesofwa.com. And if you are not in the state of Washington, I have a very exciting news. We will be launching our national platform, Conservative Ladies of America, very, very soon. So stay tuned. I am excited to bring you more details on the launch in the days and weeks ahead. I have been looking at this study that it looks like it came out yesterday, October 6th from Reuters, and the title on this Reuters Investigates is Putting Numbers on the Rise in Children Seeking Gender Care. And there was a study that was done by Komodo Health Inc. to identify how many youth are seeking and receiving gender-affirming health care. It is stunning to me how the rise in the diagnoses of youth with gender dysphoria has risen so much in just the last few years. If you look at, and all of these charts are going to be in the notes, and I encourage you to please click on these links and go look at them and share them on social media, share them with your friends. One of the things that concerns me, sort of an aside here, but I don't want us to get numb to this issue or to feel like it is just a trendy thing. It is, I do believe it is a trend um, with our youth, especially, I, I feel like it's a social contagion, but we can't let that make us numb to this or make us take it any less seriously because this is going to have real severe consequences as we move forward. And this is so damaging to these children that we cannot allow ourselves to let it go in one ear and out the other. So please take these links, share this episode. We've got to spread the word and keep people in the know and educate them as to what's going on so that we can all take action to speak out and fight against this. Uh, so in 2017, there were 15,172 diagnoses for gender dysphoria in the United States. The patient that they're looking at are ages 6 to 17. So 2017, we have just over 15,000. 2021, 42,167. It almost tripled. We went from 15,000 to 42,000 in just the span of a few years. That is also almost a double 
increase from 2020 when it was 24,847. So almost 25,000 jumping up in the next year to 42,167. I think, you know, it's really easy for us to go, okay, well, what changed in our society? What has increased this? What has um, accounted for this increase? And I think, you know, with the COVID lockdown, that really allowed the messaging through social media to become very powerful to our youth and, and even to parents, because a lot of what is driving this is radical left woke parents who are, you know, I see it on social media all the time of people referring to this is the new suburban wine drinking mom that has the transgender kids. So it's almost like it's not just trendy for the kids who are watching these TikTok videos, but it's also trendy for parents to get in on the game and have a trans kid. So I think you've also got part of that is you've got these radical left woke parents who have no problem putting their kids out there and transing their kids to get attention, post on social media. I think there's a number of different reasons why. I think the bottom line, however, is you have uh, mental issues, mental health issues, and you have a very deep, strong spiritual issue going on here. Because if you are a Christian and you are a believer in God and you understand the time that we're in, this is a spiritual battle and this attack on our children whether it's in the womb or out of the womb, is 100% a spiritual battle. And that's exactly what this is. And anybody who is willing to prescribe puberty-blocking hormones to a child or cut off body parts of a healthy child, um, basically doing irreparable damage to these kids and potentially ruining their ability to have children, reproduce, um, making them infertile, uh, and the all of the other mental health and sexual health and, you know, how are these kids going to have relationships? We have no idea what this is going to look like in the future, but I think it's apparent to most of us that this is going to have disastrous consequences for these children and for our society at large. So this um, chart goes on to show the diagnoses um, of this certain group of kids ages 6 to 17 based on um, Medicaid patients. And so the Medicaid patients are the ones who are getting state uh, government health care. And the states that they show are California, Massachusetts, New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington. And since I live in Washington, I pay close attention to that. But every chart is is really quite similar. Um, Michigan and Massachusetts show the kind of the least amount of change, but still a pretty sharp increase. But California is up there, number one. New York and Washington are pretty much in alignment with one another. And you can see on the chart how it just shoots up in the last year or two. And so Medicaid patients are going to be your lower income families. So these are kids that are going to be much easier prey for uh, providers who are wanting to transition these kids. And if you've done any looking at what's going on in the medical mental health care world, you're seeing a lot of these radical leftists have positions of um, authority in these places. So they're, they're doctors, they're therapists, they're psychiatrists, they're professors at these universities. Overall, the analysis found that at least 121,882 children ages 6 to 17 were diagnosed with gender dysphoria, 
gender dysphoria from 2017 through 2021. Reuters found similar trends when it requested state-level data on diagnoses among children covered by Medicaid, the public insurance program for lower-income families. So that's the uh, graphs that I was just referencing. And again, those are in the notes, and I encourage you to go take a look at those so that you have the visual for it. Gender-affirming care for youth takes several forms, from social recognition of a preferred name and pronouns to medical interventions such as hormone therapy and sometimes surgery. A small but increasing number of U.S. children diagnosed with gender dysphoria are choosing medical interventions to to express their identity and help alleviate their distress. These medical treatments don't begin until the onset of puberty, typically around age 10 or 11. I believe that the age of puberty is getting younger and younger. If I go back to my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, and I believe that puberty was more of a like seventh, eighth grade, kind of 12, 13, 14 kind of time when that would start. And we've been seeing uh, puberty shift to earlier over the course of the last several decades. I think number one, primarily because of the nutrition and the hormones and things that are the chemical substances that are going into the foods that we eat and the foods that we are feeding to our children. Um, So then they have a a chart on how many children are receiving puberty blockers, and it doubled from 2017 to 2021. So it went from 633 uh, patients receiving puberty blockers in 2017 to 1,390 in 2021. So almost exactly double, just a little over double. And I would say I'm going to guess based on what I'm seeing on online and on social media and all the reporting, I'm going to guess that our 2022 number is going to be substantially higher than the 2021 number because we are seeing providers and advocates for the trans uh, kids. We're seeing them push this Uh, these puberty blockers so hard. You've got these children's hospitals and medical centers all over the country that have these readily available and are, you know, giving these to kids. And here in Washington state, as I've mentioned many times, kids 13 and over can get these things without the consent of a parent. So the article goes on to say, for children at this age and stage of development, puberty blocking medications are an option. These drugs, known as GnRH agonists, suppress the release of the sex hormones testosterone and estrogen. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the drugs to treat prostate cancer, endometriosis, and central and central precocious puberty, but not gender dysphoria. Their off-label use in gender-affirming care, while legal, lacks the support of clinical trials to establish their safety for such treatment. This is something that you've probably heard talked about quite a bit. I don't know that I've talked about it a lot, but there is a almost a refusal to do studies on the long-term effects of giving children these hormones and puberty blocker puberty blocking medications. They don't want to do it. They are not interested in studying it. They're just willy-nilly giving these kids these hormones with no regard to long-term health effects and how this is going to impact them over the years. The article goes on to say over the last five years, there were at least 4,780 adolescents who started on puberty blockers and had a prior gender dysphoria diagnosis. By suppressing sex hormones, puberty blocking medications stop the onset of secondary sex characteristics such as breast development and menstruation in adolescents 
assigned female at birth. For those assigned male at birth, the drugs inhibit development of a deeper voice and an Adam's apple and growth of facial and body hair. They also limit growth of genitalia. Without puberty blockers, such physical changes can cause severe distress in many transgender children. If an adolescent stops the medication, puberty puberty resumes. The medications are administered as injections, typically every few months or through an implant under the skin of the upper arm. You'll notice that they use language like assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth. This is pretty typical of them because they do not want to go along with the reality of male and female. It's all part of feeding into this entire agenda. So as far as the the actual hormone therapy in 2017, it more than doubled between 2017 and 2021. In 2017, you had 1,905, so almost 2,000. In 2021, you had 4,231, so over doubled in that four-year period. After suppressing puberty, a child may pursue hormone treatments to initiate a puberty that aligns with their gender identity. Those for whom the opportunity to block puberty has already passed or who decline the option may also pursue hormone therapy. So what they do is they get the puberty blockers to stop the, the to stop their bodies from going into puberty, and then they get the hormone therapy that will allow them to transition into, uh, to attempt to transition into this other gender. I want to be really careful about the language I use to talk about this because I do not believe that it is possible for someone who is born as a female or a male to transition into the opposite sex. That is just not possible. You are born with a specific DNA and it is unchangeable. You can take all of the hormones that you want. You can cut off your body parts, but you are still at the core of who you are. You are still either male or female and you may not transition. That might get me banned from all of the podcast platforms, but I am not going to not say the truth. And I think it's really important when we have these conversations with people that we are speaking truth, even if it is not received well. We cannot get into this, you know, word games and start playing in this alternate reality. That's a huge part of the problem and why we are where we are is because we've, we've, uh, been shamed or guilted into playing their word games uh, as so as not to be, you know, homophobes or bigots or whatever they want to call us. The hormone treatment may leave an adolescent infertile, especially if the child took puberty blockers at an early age. That and other potential side effects are not well studied, experts say. So once again, we have giving kids these hormone treatments that have not been well studied. We don't know what the effects are going to be. All right, moving right along, we go into the surgeries. And between, they don't have, um, they're, for the surgeries, they're looking at kiddos ages 13 to 17 who have gone undergone a mastec- mastectomy for um, uh, having a prior gender dysphoria diagnosis. So in 2019, there were 238 top surgeries. And in 2021, there were 282. Again, this is an area where I would be interested to see what that number looks like for 2022, because based on what I see going on in these children's hospitals across the country, I feel like it's got to be more than that. And you'll see posts on social media of these kids who have had these surgeries. There was one I saw 
on Twitter this morning of a girl who had her breasts removed and she has this huge scar. It's like armpit to armpit, this huge red scar where her breasts were removed. And these posts, uh, these pictures are posted on social media and in the trans community, she's getting all sorts of, you know, congratulations, congrats, dude. Um, and it's, it's very, very sad because she very clearly looks like a girl. And, you know, as I've said before, puberty isn't fun. And being a teenager, being an adolescent is a time that is very confusing and very awkward. And I think that it's very easy for adults with an evil agenda to uh, convince these kids that all they need to do to feel better about themselves is to just change their sex. And if we didn't have that, if we actually had adults and you know people in these kids lives that were allowing them to process a normal puberty and the normal awkward stages of adolescence think of how much healthier they would be because as we know if a, if you leave a kid alone and leave them in their own body they will likely 99. Point, probably 99.9% of the time they will grow out of it and they will be glad that their parents didn't cut allow them to cut off their body parts. Now, again, in a state like Washington and many other states, it doesn't matter what the parents think. The child, along with their medical providers, will be able to consent to their own surgeries that have lifelong consequences. And it's such a destructive thing to cut parents out of that equation because parents know their kids better than anyone and parents have their kids best interests at heart and it's just to me it is just really sad and ultimately it's it's so destructive of not just the family unit but our society at large which is dependent on the family structure we are america's based on um, i mean the whole country it's i mean it's god's plan right the family is god's design and our society our evil society will do whatever it takes to destroy god's design from the family down to these these beautiful children and all the way to these kiddos in the womb, um, which we are seeing huge right now as we head into the election. There is just a huge agenda. Um, and I did an episode earlier this week on the left's obsession with killing babies in the womb. It's just very, very sad and it's very evil. And we cannot afford to sit back in silence um, because we don't want to be not nice. Um, this is evil and it's time for us to speak up and stand up. Well, going back into this whole um, gender affirming care and these um, kids who want to transition, there is a father, I believe he's in Texas, and Jack Posobiec was talking about this particular case on his show, I think this was from yesterday, but I'm going to play you a clip from this this interview video because it is such an important um, it's important for people to understand the legalities of this and what is going on in our family court system as well. So this is a couple who is getting divorced, and the mother is trying to transition this young girl into a boy. And the father is fighting that and doesn't want uh, the child to be transitioned. I believe the child's like 10 or 11 years old. 
And so this is, um, in this part of the conversation, Jack is talking with um, another person who's familiar with the case about what the court has ordered for these parents. If you've ever been divorced, you might be familiar with the court ordering, you know, you're not supposed to say bad things about the other parent in front of the children. Well, in this case, they aren't supposed to talk about the gender in front of the child. However, the court is ordering the father to call the child of the boy name and the boy pronouns. If I remember correctly from your reporting, the court as well has said that the father, when he has, I guess he has visitations, that during those visits, he must refer to his daughter by the new name. He cannot even call his his daughter her own name, the name that he and his wife at the time gave her. He is forbidden by law, the new law of the state of New York, to even call her her own name. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That is what the court has determined. So interestingly, the court also said that neither parent can speak to the child about gender, but They did say, as I reported, that they the parents must refer to her, including the father who disagrees with this entirely, must refer to the daughter as a boy, must use the male name and must use male pronouns. So in saying that you're not allowed to talk to the child about gender, but you must go along with the gender identity, it's almost as though the court is bypassing its own order right at the outset in favor of medically gender transitioning this child who is only 11 years old. That should scare you that a court can tell you what you can and cannot call your very own child. And I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of us really loved about Donald Trump was his court appointments and appointing judges, you know, conservative judges to not just this, his three appointments to the Supreme Court, but also on the lower level courts as well. And, you know, a lot of judges are elected. I learned this back 10 years ago when I was fighting at the superior court level for my own children and someone, this is kind of how I first like started like raising my eyebrows about politics is someone told me that judges are elected and I, that kind of like perked me up a little bit and I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, well maybe I should get involved in, you know, making sure that the right people are elected to the bench. So this is something to get keep in mind though, because a lot of these judges in these cities are really far left. And as we know, the Democrats are very good at stacking the, the, the courts um, with their liberal um, radical left uh, folks. This is yet another reason why it's so important to pay attention to who's being elected. And it's important to position yourself in a state, in a city, in a county where you can actually be the parent of your children. And as I've talked about a lot, um, you know, I'm in the state of Washington and, and we haven't been able to parent our children here. And it has had very uh, destructive uh, It has had very destructive consequences for our children and our family. And so that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about speaking out about this is so that other people can see what's going on and can take steps to minimize risk, minimize damage to your family, and protect your children at all costs. 
So I want to share one more thing with you before I hang it up for the weekend. I don't know if you caught this yesterday. I didn't catch the full episode, um, but I am a Fox Nation subscriber, so I can't wait to go back and watch the full interview. Tucker had Kanye West on his show yesterday, and he asked him a question about this um pendant that he is wearing and it's a it's an image of an ultrasound and he talks about his pro-life position and since I've been talking so much about uh, pro-life and the unborn uh, lately I wanted to share this clip with you because I love it so much and I love that we have people like Kanye West speaking out about it and I also look at this and I think of how amazing it is to see uh, God using someone like Kanye West for such a time as this. So I hope this encourages you as well. The lanyard's still on from it, and there's a photograph on it. What is that? It's a photograph of a baby's ultrasound. Why is that? And that you designed that? Yes. Why? What does that mean? Uh, it just represents life and pro-life. Boy, so you wear it on a badge. What what kind of response do you get? And, and good, amen, I agree. I don't care about people's responses. I care about the fact that there's more black babies being aborted than born in New York City at this point. That 50% of black death in America is abortion. So I really don't care about people's responses. I perform for an audience of one, and that's God. That is like the best clip I have heard in a very long time. So I hope you love that too. Um, and he's not wearing a pendant. It's a lanyard with the image. So um, I had to go back and correct myself on that. But I hope that, that that really short clip from Kanye encourages you to speak out. You don't have to uh, get the approval of anybody but God. And I think that's such a profound statement, such a profound reminder. And I hope that you will take that with you this weekend and into the future. And just remember that you don't need the approval of anybody but God. And so I'm going to leave it there for the week. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and I look forward to chatting with you again next time. 